Welcome to the Reminders of Grace podcast. The Reminders of Grace podcast exists to provide a reference for truth, promote a refocus on the gospel, and provoke a profound reminder of grace for our lives today. I am your host. My name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to the show. We are three episodes in, and we have already seen God bless this and grow it to a level that I never imagined it would get to. And I know that he is not done yet. He is just getting started. So, as he does what only he can do, let's commit to do what we can do. At the outset of this episode, I want to share a couple of important talking points. First of all, by way of forewarning, I will be sharing some things in this episode that will build upon or reference back to the previous episode. So if you are just joining us, thank you so much for being here. But I encourage you also to go back and check out that episode entitled, Who is Jesus? As you are able. The content will be hand in hand with this episode's content. Also, at the conclusion of this episode, I want to challenge you to engage in one specific way. I hope you do in more than one, but in at least one way, be thinking of at least one person that you can share this episode with. Share it with one family member, friend, or other loved one, maybe even a coworker or a neighbor, maybe one employee at a place that you frequent. Throw it up on social media if you wish. Send the link to someone that you know. But whatever you decide, please know this. It is not for the sake of ratings or following. This is simply because of the content of this episode and how strongly I feel that as many people as possible need to hear it. On this episode, we'll be taking a look at another topic of highest importance. It is a word and a subject that we cannot get away from, one that we cannot ignore, reject, or overlook, and most of all, it's one that we cannot replace. This topic we will once again phrase as a question. The question is, what is the gospel? But before we break down and build a framework of what it is practically, let's start by laying a foundation of what it is specifically. And as a disclaimer, we're going to walk briskly through this uh, section as opposed to crawling through the next section. Not for lack of significance or importance, but simply only and exclusively for management of time. So what is the gospel? Well, at its base definition, the word gospel comes from the word euangelion. It is from where we derive our word evangelize, and it is very similar to the word used at funerals. The word there is eulogy, which is just a good word about someone. But this word simply means good news. The word has been and can be used in a non-Christian sense. And people have used it as a synonym for just authoritative words. But in doing that, it somewhat takes away from the foundation that the word means good news. It's not just any news. It's not just any message. It's a good one. The listener is not what makes the message good. The setting, the circumstances, nor the delivery are what make the message good either. The message is good because of its content. And here's an important part of it. 
the presumption is made that the good news is only good because it is in fact, in fullness, and in function true. So good news that is false is not good news. Good news that is twisted is not good news. For it to be good news, the content has to be good and it has to be true. So if the gospel of Jesus is what his followers give their lives to, if the good news of Jesus is what Christians have committed to personalize for themselves, practice among others, and propagate to the nations, then what is it? And why might it seem like you find a completely different answer depending on who you talk to when you ask them what is the gospel? And so here are a couple of answers that you might get if you were to inquire, what is the gospel? That disappointingly are not accurate. And while there are points of merit to each of these, for it to be truly good news, it has to be in fact, in fullness, and in function true. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, someone might tell you, is that if you just try hard enough to be a good person, which is just not factual. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but that's just not a full explanation. The gospel, or the good news of Jesus, is that you are God's child, and God wants his children to be overwhelmingly successful in all areas of life, which is just not functional from tone to content. It's not something that God ever promised. And so we keep coming back to this question, what is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? And we're going to move through four progressively interconnected statements that collectively make up the good news of Jesus, the gospel. You and I, we are accountable to a holy God. One of the biggest lies that philosophies and societies all over the world have adopted, adapted, and assimilated to is the notion that you, as an individual, will answer to no one. Live your life, do what makes you happy, walk in your truth, and if we're not careful, we can interpret that to mean whatever we want it to mean. Even things that were never intended for us. You and I are not autonomous, meaning we are not self-existing, self-sustaining, self-accountable. We mentioned this last episode, God created everything. Scriptures tell us that all things were made by him, and without him nothing was created that is created. He created all things, and for his pleasure they exist, and they were created. Because he has created us, he has every authority and every privilege to hold us accountable. It says that even though God was known, he wasn't honored as God or thanked for being God. And I would say that that statement rings true today just as much as it did thousands of years ago when those words were written. Do you ever hear someone use the phrase, this person, and they would insert that person's name? would be rolling over in their grave if they could see what was going on. Well, in its context, it's used in a way that points back to a creator, a founder, or a pioneer of something. And it implies that if they were present in the moment to see how things are going now, 
that they would not stand for it and they could not accept it. Well, the inherent presumption is that because they created this entity, because they founded this organization, because they pioneered this process, they would have the final authority to hold everyone accountable for how it's going. But on a much grander scale, I would say God is that way. Jesus himself said that one day he will call and every single one of us living or dead, young, aged or decayed without reservation, hesitation or exception will stand before him as the worthy king of the ages and be held accountable to him. And he demands that we worship him. But why does he get to do that? Because he is a holy God because he made us, because he owns us. And there's a phrase that all too often flies in our face because we are dependent on him. So we are accountable to him and starting to understand what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus is demands that we acknowledge God, our need for him, our dependence on him and our accountability to him. You and I, we have offended this holy God. And this is a paramount reality that we cannot lose sight of. This is a crucial part of the good news of Jesus. What have we done to offend this holy God that created us and holds us accountable? You and I have both offended him in multiple ways. And now when we say offended, we don't exclusively mean that we've hurt his feelings as we would picture offense between humans it's much more than that because we've insulted his character the way he is described is holy he is perfect he is pure and we have not lived that way we have opposed his rule to make him the sole object of the worship that he deserves and demands and we have failed him in that way we have rejected his commands Obedience and submission are tantamount to four-letter words to us, and we have failed him in that way. Every single one of us stand guilty. None of us are exempt. None of us are right apart from him. All of us have sinned. And maybe you're listening to this, and that's a word that you've heard that you may not fully understand, and that's more than okay. The word means to simply miss the mark. And so in target shooting, there are multiple rings that progressively get smaller and smaller the closer they get to the center. The goal is to hit that center mark, that bullseye, every single time. But we have in so many ways viewed our lives the way we would view a day at the target range. We hit a couple dead center. We hit a couple on the outer rims. We missed a few altogether. But overall, at the end of the day, we did pretty good. But when the goal is that bullseye, it doesn't matter if we miss by a millimeter or a mile. At the end of the day, we missed the mark at least once. But with God, who is that perfect dead center, the goal is not for us to walk away feeling good about how close we got. Or to walk away comparing ourselves to our friends, saying, well, I'm certainly not as bad of a shot as... Scriptures tell us that the things that the law says, it says to those that live under it, 
that every mouth will be silenced and that all the world will be held accountable or will become guilty before God. Every mouth, all the world. Those are extreme superlatives to show that he is just not messing around. This is not my indictment of you. Please hear me. This is not me as a host of the Reminders of Grace podcast indicting you. This is not intended for you to turn into an indictment of your neighbor or that coworker or supervisor that you don't particularly love. This is God's indictment of every single person in the world. And it's the same across the board, over all peoples, for all times. You and I are not just accountable to him. Apart from him, we are hopelessly, helplessly, worthlessly, endlessly guilty before him. So here's a question for you to sit with for just a moment. If this is the righteous judge and holy grand jury's accurate indictment of you and me, if this is true, then what possible piece of evidence could we bring up that could ever cause him to withhold his judgment? Because there is a judgment that is attached to this. Paul writes that the wages or the recompense owed for actions performed and services rendered, the wages of sin, of missing that holy mark of perfection, is death. The wages of sin is death. It's separation from the beautiful glory and presence of a holy God. So what good work could we bring him? When he declares that our self-proclaimed good things that we do apart from him are filthy rags, what side-by-side comparison could we offer when he has demanded perfection and we just missed? Again, we stand hopelessly, helplessly, worthlessly, endlessly guilty before him. But maybe you're listening and thinking, well, this is not making me feel good. I thought you said this was the gospel. This was the good news of Jesus. This all seems pretty bad right now, and you're absolutely right. But to have someone come and say that they're going to save you, if it's true, is good news. But it becomes so much better and so much sweeter when we realize, when we believe that we actually truly need to be saved and so in the person of Jesus this holy God lovingly and willfully sacrificed everything for our offense you've heard of a plot twist it is a literary and a cinematic tool used in books and most notably in TV and movies to introduce a storyline that either was hidden from the beginning or played a subservient role to the main plot. But what sets it apart is that this new storyline is a drastic change for the characters in the story or the movie. One that comes to mind is what I believe to be the movie of the year from the year 2006. The movie is The Prestige. It starred Christian Bale, it was a dark knight, and Hugh Jackman, who played Wolverine and The Greatest Showman. But being a purist, I refuse to give away any spoilers. But the plot twist, which technically doesn't get revealed until the end, in that movie resides as the most memorable in this moment. It's a lengthy watch, but it's a solid movie in my opinion. 
add over. That's what this is about. The only difference is this storyline is the main storyline and the plot twist and the climax and the struggle and the acclaim and the awards because we messed up and we messed up real bad. And then God says, but, and it's a term used as an exception. It changes everything for us. He reminds us that there's this storyline that's been in play from before the foundation of the universe and everything in your life seems center stage. But in reality, you've just been a part of this plan from your beginning. And so at the close of the Old Testament, there's 400 years of silence, meaning that God doesn't speak to his people, no one hears a word from him or sees a vision of him. And from that silence, the Father says to the Son, now. And Jesus comes in humble and lowly fleshly beginnings. Again, because Jesus is God, his existence did not start as a baby boy in Bethlehem. So this is his fleshly beginning. This is him embodying the fullness, essence, deity, and glory of God. He's born of a virgin, so he has no sin nature passed down from his father, because his father is God, that holy God. And Joseph played no physical role in his birth. He lives this perfect, sinless life before beginning an earthly ministry where he would teach and, and encourage and, and walk the region. Well, for three and a half years, he does this, and he gains the close following of just 12. He'll teach like no one else. He'll touch lives like no one else. He will rise to epic stardom in the region of Israel. And in gaining that fame, he will, in a proportionate way, gain infamy. They would follow him and hang on his every word and watch and celebrate all that he did. And at the same time, there were many who would follow him and critique his every word and antagonize him for all that he did until they just couldn't take it anymore. And they resigned that he needed to die. To them, it seemed like it was their idea to kill him. But as we mentioned, this storyline was set in motion long before Jesus, in a physical body, showed up on the scene as a baby. Jesus came to fulfill this plan. His mission was to die. His attention was set on giving up his life. His mind was focused on what he came to do. He had every intention from the beginning to give his life for the redemption, restoration, and reconciliation of his creation. God loved the world. Specifically, humankind in the created order. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only self-existent son, Jesus, to adorn flesh and to die a death. The death of a criminal. The death of an outlaw. The death of an outcast. A violent one. An agonizing one. An unjustified one. This wasn't a means of punishment of a father upon his son. This was nothing less than a divine act of love on the part of the holy judge who did not want to carry out the verdict that you and I rightly deserved on us. And so he sent a substitute. He sent someone to stand in our place. Because while none of us could meet that mark of perfection, because all of us missed that mark of holiness, Jesus didn't miss it. He embodied it, 
He exemplified it. He earned it. So, if the judgment of sin and the judgment for sin is death, then when sin is present, someone has to die. And God said, I don't want it to be you. It'll be Jesus instead. So on the cross, Jesus hung for the sins of the world. And the Father, in those moments, forsook. He turned his back on. He separated from his Son as he became sin, as he was dying to pay for sin, also that God would not have to forsake, so he would not have to turn his back on or separate from me and you. The New Testament book of Romans tells us that God demonstrated, he proved, he showed his love to us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John writes that he is the, Jesus is the propitiation, which is an old English word that is used that just simply means satisfactory payment. He is the satisfactory payment for our sins, but not just for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Paul says that the Father made Jesus to be sin for us. Even though he didn't know sin, he didn't experience sin, he never missed the mark, so that we could be made righteous before God in him. So the reality is that Jesus came and he died for our sin so that we could stand before the judge just as if we had no sin. There's not enough good we could do. There's not enough resources we could give away. There's not enough time we could spend in an alleged purgatory of our own making to equate to having no sin. So Jesus said, I'll do it. One time for all time. One person for all peoples. One act. Finished. Complete. Paid in full the gospel the good news of jesus is that well it's good news about jesus it's just that jesus came to bring us hope life newness salvation and pardon it's not good because we are good it's not good because we did enough good It is good because he is good. And lastly, because of Jesus, an offer of a living personal relationship with him and a pardon from his rightful judgment is extended to you. This offer is being extended to you. So what now? So Jesus came and he lived this perfect life and he died this horrible death for us. And then what? Well, then his body was taken off the cross and he was put in a borrowed tomb. They call it borrowed not just because it belonged to somebody else, but because he just knew that he wouldn't be needing it for very long. Because three days later on that Sunday morning, Jesus didn't just wake up from a long nap. He wasn't in a coma. He was alive. And then he was dead, dead. And then, boom, he was alive, never to die again. Circumventing all that is natural about life and death, superseding over all that we as humankind have zero power over, conquering all the enemies and would-be contenders for his power. And so what does that do for us? 
Well, because Jesus is alive, because our sin has been paid for, because our sentence has already been carried out, there's something that God offers you. He has done this for you. By his amazing grace, you did not earn it. You could not merit it. You did not deserve it. But now that it's done, what will you do with it? What will you do with Jesus? He did all of this for you so that you could have a redeemed, restored, and reconciled relationship with him. And while this, hear me, while this relationship requires or requests no work on your part, it does need your acceptance. It does need your faith. Because you and I stand in condemnation. We stand guilty. We stand under the judgment of a holy God. But when our story intersects with the cross, when our lives come face to face with the gospel, when we meet the good news of Jesus, as my prayer is that you have, as you've listened to this episode, we then have a choice to make. To either stay under condemnation, to stay guilty, to stay under judgment, to stay thinking that enough can be done on this end to balance it out on the next, only to end life on this earth and spend an eternity paying for something that was already taken care of. Or to accept by faith what Jesus has done, to accept the offer of life, to accept healing, accept that redemption, the newness, relationship, and hope. Turning from sin, hating it, wanting nothing to do with it, and placing our faith and our trust in Jesus. And only Jesus. Not Jesus plus a good life. Not Jesus plus generosity. Not Jesus plus going to church. Jesus plus nothing. Just Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. And I hope this episode has provoked you, encouraged you, and or been a reminder of his grace to you. And I want to hear from you. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus uh, for a time. And, well, I got to be honest, I would love to hear your story about how you came to know him and follow him. Maybe you're listening to this because someone shared this episode with you and, well, maybe you've been seeking. Maybe you've questioned or maybe you've just been super skeptical. Please know that whoever shared this with you loves and cares for you enough to do so. So let me know what you're thinking. Let me know how this episode has set with you. But either way, let's talk. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell me about it. You can connect with me at remindersofgracepodcast at gmail.com. That's reminders with an S of gracepodcast at gmail.com. Also, please do me a favor and be sure to leave a review and click on that subscribe or follow button wherever you engage with the podcast to be certain that you never miss an episode. And as you head into your week, as you navigate through your journey, as you face whatever you face, or as you seek to live on mission, 
be reminded of his grace and to know that no matter what, it is always, every single time, greater 